Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Our text this morning is Acts 20, uh, verses 13 through 38. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray, asking God's blessing on it all. Let's pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your Word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your Word and also do it. Gracious Father, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts so that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded through Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts 20, verses 13 through 38. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when, we, when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the, to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention, pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the word of to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak 
and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, you can come up and join me. Welcome. It's good to see y'all. Hey. Boom. Yeah, come on, have a seat. All right, do you know what the word profitable means? Profitable? If something is really profitable, it means it's really good for you. It it means it's beneficial. It's really useful. It's something that you want to have. So what are some things that people think of as profitable or really useful? Yeah. Water. Yes. Drinking lots of water is profitable for you. Elena. Food. Yes. Same thing. Money. Yeah. Okay. Money. Those things, those are really useful things. One more. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll get there. Don't steal my thunder, Malachi. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I, money, you mentioned, you know, how to, how to plan for retirement. Knowing how to do that is something that's really profitable. And if you ever figured that out, let me know because that would help me. Uh, personally, though, I think something that's really profitable, really useful is a towel. A towel is a massively useful thing. You can wrap it around you for warmth. You can lie on it at the beach and keep the sand off of you. You can sleep under it beneath the stars. You, you could even use it as a sail on a, using a mini It's nothing less than the good news that he has been preaching, that that message of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. The, The best thing for you and me, the most useful thing for you and me is to keep hearing and keep believing the good news about Jesus. It's true, that good news includes some bad news about us, right? The, the bad news is that you and I have this big problem called sin, and it goes way deeper than we know. We, we don't really enjoy talking about all the ways that we are wrong, that we are displeasing to God, but it's actually a really good thing. It's a really useful thing to, to bring all of that bad stuff out into the light because if we do, then we're ready to enjoy Jesus. 
He is the rescuer of sinners. He loves us, and He proved it by paying for our sins on the cross, and, and He invites us to trust in Him, to put our faith in Him and to live with Him both today and forever. Knowing and having Jesus is the absolute best. Trusting Him is the most profitable thing that any person can do. That's why here at Trinity, we spend so much time talking about faith in Jesus and repentance from sins because we want to enjoy Jesus for ourselves and we want to help others enjoy Him too. He is the only way to a real, flourishing life. Everything else falls infinitely short, but because we get to know and to have Him through faith and repentance, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thank you all. You can go back to your seat. If you've not already done so, <clears throat> open your Bibles to Acts 20. Our text this morning is Acts 20, verses 13 through uh, 38, 13 through uh, the end of the chapter. And this comes uh, after, uh, you remember, Paul's long night in Troas. Uh, he was there uh, at the church, uh, ministering to the church in Troas when uh, Eutychus fell out the window uh, and died and then was raised again uh, to life as a demonstration of, of God's power and of his uh, sovereignty, even over death. Uh, and it was after that that, that Paul uh, began his journey back home, back towards uh, Jerusalem. And we're, we're told here that after that uh, night, uh, Paul's companions set sail uh, for Assos, but Paul himself uh, traveled there by land. And that's probably because he was still wary of being trapped on a boat with Jews who were intent on taking his life. And so he sent his companions by boat, but he himself traveled by land and planned to meet up with his companions there. And when they reunited in Assos, they then got on the boat and they sailed together to Mytilene and then to Chios and then to Samos and then to Miletus. And uh, they don't go to Ephesus, Luke tells us, uh, because Paul was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. You remember that he had celebrated the Passover uh, in Ephesus, wasn't able to get back to Jerusalem for that, and so now uh, he is hastening to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, if possible. But despite his desire to get to Jerusalem, he still wants to minister uh, to the church in Ephesus, that church where he had, uh, where he had ministered for so long. And so while he is in Miletus, he calls to the Ephesian elders and asks them to come to him uh, so that he can uh, talk with them one more time. What he knows is going to be his final time seeing the elders of this particular church. And this long text before us this morning is Luke's summary of that final conversation, that final talk that Paul has with the elders in Ephesus. And it's, of course, a, a summary talk. We, we know that Paul can go on. He, he went on uh, first to midnight and then to daybreak when he was in Troas. And we assume that this was, a, a, again, a, a long talk as he is ministering to the elders in Ephesus one last time. But here we have Luke's summary, and it is a dense summary. There's a, a lot here. And so I just want to tell you up front, it's going to take us three Sundays to unpack all of this. Uh, and even then, we won't unpack it all. 
But this morning, I'm going to be uh, looking at how Paul reflects on his past ministry, his, his ministry in Ephesus. What does he tell us about the way that he ministered while he was there? The next Sunday, Sam will reflect on his future ministry. What Paul says is next for him. And then finally, uh, two weeks after that, uh, after today, we will see Paul, uh, Sam will come back uh, and preach on uh, Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders, how, what he is charging them to do in light of what he has done and where he is headed. And so this morning we begin with Paul's reflections on his past ministry. And I think it's appropriate for us to take the time to, to look at what Paul says about his ministry in Ephesus because clearly Paul is setting forth his ministry in Ephesus as a model. It is a, a model for what he wants the uh, elders in Ephesus to continue doing. Now, obviously, they won't parallel his ministry exactly. Uh, they will be uh, residents and, uh, uh, and uh, citizens in Ephesus who are ministering to their own hometown church while Paul is a, a missionary on the move. But nevertheless, it's the same basic ministry of the gospel that they are being called to. And Paul wants them to remember how he ministered among them so that they might continue that ministry there in Ephesus. And if Paul is setting forth his ministry as a model for them, then it makes sense that it's a model for us as well. Here in this text, as Paul reflects back on his ministry, he is setting forth a picture of what gospel ministry ought to look like wherever it is conducted. And so it is a model for us uh, as well. So with this in mind, with this, this idea that Paul is giving us a model of ministry here, I want us to look at what Paul says about his own character, about his ministry, about his message, and then finally about his method. So let's look uh, again at what Paul says about his own uh, ministry, beginning with what he says there in verse 18. Look again at what Paul write, or, or what uh, Paul says. He says, "You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. You know how I lived among you. That is an amazing statement when you when you think about it. It, it reveals something to us about about Paul's character. That Paul can say, you know how I lived among you from the first day you met me, shows us that, that Paul's ministry was consistent. He, he, he ministered consistently. He ministered in the, the same way. He, his ministry did not vary. It was not this on one day, this on another, depending on whom he was ministering to. He was the same person every day in every situation. His behavior did not change based on the, the status of the people to whom he was ministering. Now... We have to be careful to understand that correctly. We do know that Paul said, I, I sought to be all things to all people. He did seek to, to adapt uh, to people and to minister to them on their terms and uh, in, a, in a context that, that they could understand. There's something appropriate about, about ministering to people uh, in their cultural context. We, we, we think of this most basically when it comes to language. It's, it's good to, to speak the language of the people whom you are trying to minister to. Right? That, that, that just makes sense. And there are other cultural uh, factors that maybe are not as prominent as language, but nevertheless are, are significant. And Paul said, when I was among the Jews, I tried to be uh, minister as a Jew. When I was among the Gentiles, I tried to minister as a, as a Gentile. But those surface-level changes did not change the, the essence of his ministry. His, his ministry uh, was essentially consistent. And, and we're going to see the, uh, the, the marks of that consistency in just 
a moment. But we, we begin with just the fact of the consistency. He, his message did not change based on, on who he was ministering to or, uh, or how they were responding to him. He remained the same whether or not he was uh, being received or whether he was being violently uh, opposed. And that type of consistency is a vital mark of gospel ministry because it shows that our ministry is, is shaped by our commission. We are called by our Lord. We are called by our master to, to minister his word in his way uh, to the people uh, whom he has entrusted to our care. You see, when we know ourselves to be servants of Christ, when we know ourselves to be serving him, when we know ourselves to be proclaiming his word, it, it sets us free to be consistent. What is it that, that causes us to, to vary? What is it that causes us to be inconsistent? It's our ulterior motives. We're, we're tempted to vacillate uh, when uh, we have something else in mind, something else that we're trying to accomplish. When we're seeking uh, prestige for ourselves, when we're seeking personal gain, we are, we are tempted to, to vary in our ministry. But Paul says he was consistent because he knew himself to be a servant of Christ. He did not have ulterior motives. He knew himself called to be a minister of Christ's gospel uh, to whoever God called him to minister. And so he wasn't trying to control. He wasn't trying to, to manipulate. He was seek, seek, uh, simply seeking to be a faithful witness to the good news about Jesus Christ. He was simply seeking to testify, as he will say, whether to Jews or to Greeks, of repentance unto life and faith in Jesus Christ. That is the call, that we are to be consistent. And, and we can be consistent, not only because we know we're serving Christ, but we know that he is with us as we do. You see, there's more to being a servant of Christ than, than being called by him to a certain work. When Christ calls us, he also empowers us by his spirit to do the work that he has given us to do. Paul knew not only that he was serving Christ, but that Christ was with him as he sought to do that work. And so he knew that he had nothing to fear. Because understand, yes, our ambitions can sometimes cause us to, to vacillate in our ministry, but, but so can our fears. And, and from a human perspective, Paul had plenty to fear. We, we've seen it throughout the book of Acts, have we not? We've seen the opposition that we face. We've seen the riots. We've seen the beatings. We've seen the, the stonings that he has endured throughout his ministry. From a human perspective, Paul had plenty to fear. And yet, he knows himself as having nothing to fear, not because there are not those who oppose him and oppose him violently, but because he knows Christ is with him and will not allow those whom he fears to harm him. It's what we saw last week. God's power over death sets us free from the fear of death, not because he's going to always deliver us from death, but because we know that because he controls death, death cannot ultimately harm us. And in the same way, because God is sovereign over even our enemies, they cannot harm us even uh, when they seek to make us suffer. That's the confidence that we have. That's the confidence that allows us to be uh, consistent. So it's the confidence that allows us to conduct ourselves in a way that's consistent uh, with the lordship of Jesus Christ and the good news of his gospel. But what is, what does that such a consistent ministry look like? Well, that's what we're going to see here uh, as Paul unpacks it for us. 
Notice how he describes this consistent ministry. He says, I've, you know how I've lived among you. And here it is. This is how I have conducted myself. This is, these are the marks of my ministry. He says, I have served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. These are the consistent marks of Paul's ministry. And so first, Paul's ministry as a servant of Christ was a ministry marked by humility. Now, humility, it means not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. We, we sometimes hear people say, well, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking uh, less of yourself. It's not that you think of yourself as, as lesser, but you just don't think of yourself as often. And there's, there's something right about that. But let's not be mistaken. Humility does mean thinking less of yourself. It does mean recognizing that you are not the center of the universe, that the world does not revolve around you, that your interests do not take priority over everyone else's. It does mean recognizing that you are a servant and not the king. And so there's a humility that, that is marked by not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, not thinking of yourself as, as more important than others, not thinking of your ambitions and interests and, and desires as, as always taking priority. And Paul had that humility. Paul ministered uh, knowing that his ministry was not about him. Paul ministered knowing that he was serving the Lord and, and proclaiming the glory of his king. Jesus' name was what his ministry was all about. Jesus' word was, was what his ministry was all about. It was not about his own platform or about his, his own influence or about his own prestige amongst uh, the people. Paul was a servant, and he knew it. And so he ministered with humility. Now, again, that doesn't mean that, that Paul denied or, or downplayed the authority with which he had been entrusted. Humility and authority are not opposed to one another. Because the authority that, that Paul uh, exercised was a, was a conferred authority. It was an authority that was delegated to him by his King, he didn't exercise his own authority for his own sake, but he exercised the Lord's authority for the sake of the ministry that had been entrusted to him. But make no mistake, Paul knew himself to be an apostle. He knew himself to be one who, who spoke with authority to the church. He knew himself to be one who spoke the very words of God, he says in his letter to the Thessalonians. And so Paul exercised authority, and, and similarly, the church today must exercise authority. We continue to be ministers of the very words of God. We, don't, we are not apostles in the way that, that Paul was. We are not delivering the faith to the saints, but we are ministers of the faith that has been delivered to the saints. We are ministers of the very words of God. And we have been entrusted with authority to be ministers of that authority. And inasmuch as you go out as a uh, as a Witness to the gospel, uh, you go out speaking the very words of God to people. You, you don't do it with the infallibility of an apostle, but you do it with authority because the word you proclaim is authoritative. And so as we seek to, to do, be ministers of the gospel, we do not deny the authority of the word of God, but we minister it with authority, recognizing that it's not our authority, but rather it is the authority of God's word that marks gospel ministry. So Paul is humble. He doesn't think of himself more highly than all. He doesn't think of his ministry as about him, about his platform, about his influence, about his name. 
He, know, he recognizes that he is a servant of the king, ministering uh, to the glory of his master, but with the authority, the proper authority that has been given to him. Second, Paul tells us that he ministered with tears. His, his ministry was marked by humility and it was marked by tears. Now, some think that these tears go with the trials that he mentions immediately afterwards, and that is, of course, possible. Trials often bring us to tears. As we're seeing in our study of, of 1 Peter, we, we grieve the trials that we endure in this world, even as we rejoice in the inheritance that is ours. And so it's possible that these tears are, are uh, simply related to the trials that Paul had to uh, endure, but I, I think that there is more to these tears than just the trials. I believe these tears that, that Paul mentions here uh, reveal his emotional investment in his ministry. He sincerely loved those to whom he was called to minister. When they rejected the gospel, he shed tears for them. We, we know this of his kinsmen. Uh, the, the Jews who, who rejected him in the synagogues, he, he wept over their hard-heartedness. He, he wept over their rejection of the Gospels. And when they received the Gospel and then suffered because of it, he shed tears with them. He wept with those who weeped. Paul was not a, a disinterested teacher. He was not a, a take-it-or-leave-it kind of, of professor. I've got good stuff. If you want it, you can have it. If not, that's on you. That's not the way that, that Paul ministered. He was uh, sincerely and, and earnestly invested in the good of those to whom he ministered. He, he loved them sincerely. We're going to see that he, he did not hesitate to proclaim to them all that was profitable, as Sam was saying to the kids. And so he earnestly wanted those who were dead in their trespasses and sins to receive life in Jesus Christ. He knew he had the words of life. And he sought to proclaim those words uh, to any and to all who would listen. And he did so with tears. Because he knew the, the weight and the significance of the, the matters of which he spoke. And again, I would suggest to you that this is an aspect of Paul's ministry that we are called to emulate. We are not to be disinterested witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ but we are to long to see the members of our community come to, to know Jesus Christ and to, to rest upon Him for their salvation. And when those who, who go receive the gospel suffer, we are to weep with them as they weep. We are, we are to take their suffering as our own. We should minister with tears in our community, even as Paul ministered with tears there in Ephesus. And third, notice what he says. His ministry was marked not only by humility and tears, but by trials. All the things, he says, that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. Here he is thinking specifically of the, the ways that his ministry was, was violently opposed by those who hated the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, come to save not only the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, any and all who would believe in him. And again, the, the point here is that Paul did not abandon his ministry in the face of those trials. When he was opposed, he stood firm. When he faced obstacles, he, he sought a different way forward. Why? Because he knew he had been called to this work by his king. He was willing to endure the trials that, that were part of the ministry to, which, which had been entrusted 
to him. The steadfast endurance uh, of, of his ministry is the fruit of his humility and tears. Knowing himself to be a servant who deeply loved his people uh, set him free to stand firm even when violently opposed. And again, that must be a mark of our ministry. We must be steadfast even in the face of trials. We must be steadfast even when opposed. We are servants of Christ, called to love and to serve the people in this community. And even as you heard in, in Robert's prayer, there will, there will be times uh, when uh, proclaiming the gospel faithfully will bring down the, the anger and the, the agitation of, of people who hate that message, even here in Cleveland. There'll be, there'll be people who, who find it to be narrow-minded or, or, or bigoted or, or slanderous. And we are called upon to steadfastly endure the trials that come, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's where we're going next. We are to be humble. We are to uh, have tears. We are to, uh, to stand firm in trial as we proclaim the message. That's the, the centerpiece of, of Paul's ministry. It's the, the third point that we, we see here. Paul served the Lord with humility, with tears, and with trials so that he might proclaim the message that had been entrusted to him, that treasure that he said had been deposited in the jar of clay that he was. So what is this message? What is this message that, that Paul proclaims? Well, again, look at what he says. Verse 20, he says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what was Paul's message? It was uh, first and, and uh, essentially that which was profitable. That is, he taught what the people needed to know for their own good. He did not adapt his message to what they wanted to hear. He, he warns Timothy that there's coming a day when, when the teachers will, will do just that. They will, they will tell people what they want to hear. And, and certainly we see that in the larger church today, do we not? We see people who are willing to adapt their message to what people want to hear. Uh, we, we see pastors themselves say, people, people are tired of hearing about sin. They want to hear something more positive. We, we recognize that temptation. We, we recognize the, the, the temptation that's felt by the pastors who say, listen, if we don't adjust, the church is going to become irrelevant and go out of business. We, we've heard that. And yet, and yet Paul says, I did not shrink, even in the face of opposition even when it wasn't what people wanted to hear. I did not shrink from proclaiming what was profitable. I did not shrink from proclaiming what you needed to hear, the only true words of life. And if you've ever been in a position where you were trying to teach someone, whether that was your own kids, whether that was students, whether that was uh, you know, someone you were discipling, whether it was a, an athlete, uh, wh whatever it was you were trying to teach them, you know what it is to have to say to them what is profitable, what they actually need to hear. It doesn't do you any, any good to, uh, to simply tell them what they want to hear. That may delight them for a season, but it will ultimately leave them frustrated. The church must similarly be committed to proclaiming what is profitable. 
doesn't mean that we have to be rude. It doesn't mean we have to be tactless. But we must proclaim what people need to hear rather than tickling their ears. And so what is that? What is this profitable message that, that Paul tells us he, he did not shrink back from declaring? Well, he, he tells us. He says that he testified to repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What was Paul's basic message? What was uh, the, the essential message that he did not shrink back from proclaiming? It was the message of repentance and faith. Now later he's going to say that, that he taught the whole counsel of God. Uh, certainly he, he did not teach repentance and faith exclusively as if this was the only message that, uh, that he ever uh, touched on. Similarly, when he, he says to the Corinthians, you know, amongst you I knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Obviously, uh, Paul expanded upon that idea, but everything that he proclaimed was rooted there. Everything that he, he proclaimed was rooted in, in Christ crucified. And here it's the same. Everything is rooted in the reality of the call to repentance and faith. Repentance towards God and faith in the crucified Savior. This was Paul's essential message. This was the message that he did not shrink back from declaring. He declared that all people need to repent. Jews and Greeks alike. All people need to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is, is turning from your sin back to God. That is the, the root idea of Repentance, turning from your sin back to God. And he is calling on all people to recognize that they are sinners justly condemned. It's the first vow you have to take when you, when you join our church. You have to acknowledge that you are a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving of his wrath and without hope of saving yourself. You must recognize the reality of, of who you are. You must recognize that, that the holy God cannot receive you into his holy kingdom as you are. It's not a popular message for obvious reasons. This is, this is not what people generally want to, to hear about themselves. Well, you're actually worse than you think you are. And, you're, and not only are you, are you worse than you think you are, but you're actually hopeless. You are without hope of, of doing anything about your condition. But this is essential to the gospel. All of us, without exception, must acknowledge that we are sinners justly condemned. And we must turn from our sin. We must renounce our sin. We must acknowledge it as sin, as rebellion against our rightful king. And we must turn in faith back to God in Jesus Christ. You see, it's repentance alone. Repentance, just, just acknowledging our sin and turning from it is not enough if we're not turning to God in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way back to God. Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Just acknowledging your sin is not enough. You must acknowledge your sin and you must turn to God in faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for sins. It is by his precious blood that we are ransomed from our, our just condemnation. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the message that Paul proclaimed is a message of repentance, acknowledging that we are sinners and turning back to God with faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging that our only hope is his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection on our behalf. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. Only in him do we have new life. Only in him are we made heirs of the coming kingdom. 
This is the message that Paul proclaimed. This is the message that we must continue to proclaim. For there is no other gospel. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. We are all sinners justly condemned. Jews and and Greeks alike, religious and irreligious alike. We are all under God's condemnation. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. For he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is only on his cross that the record that is against us is finally and fully dealt with. This is the message that Paul proclaimed. This is what is profitable. Yes, we can unpack this and we can talk about the implications of this. We're actually doing that this morning. We're talking about the implications of this gospel for how we do ministry, the ministry of this gospel. But at the root, at the foundation, this gospel must always be there. Everything we must do, everything we do must be rooted in the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, like Paul, we must not shrink back from proclaiming this message, even when it is violently opposed. So what does it look like to proclaim this message? It's the last thing I want us to see this morning. How did Paul proclaim this message? What was his method? Well, he tells us that he he taught this gospel both publicly and from house to house. And again, that that phrase, I think, is is meant to be a model for us today, for all churches and in all places. Public ministry won't always look the same. House-to-house ministry won't always look the same. But the ministry of the gospel is always to be a public and house-to-house type of ministry. So what what does Paul mean when he says that he proclaimed the gospel publicly? Well, this almost certainly refers to his ministry in the synagogues. Remember when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he went to the the synagogues. We were told that he ministered there for for three months. That was a a public ministry. He went to where the Jews were gathered and and he proclaimed from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the the long promised Messiah. That it was in him and through him that that all people could be uh, forgiven of their sins and and reconciled to God. But you'll also remember that uh, eventually, after a few months, Paul was driven out of the synagogue and he went to the hall of of Tyrannus and began to, to minister there. And there we have Paul continuing to minister publicly for some two years. And when you think about that ministry in the house of Tyrannus, it would have been both an evangelistic and a a discipleship-oriented ministry. He would have been talking to those uh, who had never heard the gospel. He would have been proclaiming to them and calling them to faith and repentance. But it's not like those who who believed the gospel then stopped coming. They would continue to gather to to learn to be discipled. And so this public ministry was was both evangelistic and uh, and a discipleship-oriented ministry. And of course, in some ways, that's a false distinction. It's a false distinction to, to say that, that these were two types of ministry. It's one ministry. It's the, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the seed by which we were born again. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is that pure spiritual milk by which we grow. But it's helpful for us to remember that, that our public ministry is both a ministry of, of calling people to faith, calling people to faith and repentance, and of, of building up those who have believed towards maturity in Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeking to do when we gather publicly. Now, obviously, we 
We don't know the details of exactly how Paul did this. Luke's summary of his, of his ministry there in the hall of Tyrannus is, is, is painfully short. It's frustratingly short. We, we wish we knew more. But we recognize that what Paul was doing there in his public ministry is what we also must seek to do. And I think this is an area that, that we can uh, continue to uh, develop in our own ministry here at Trinity. I think, if I may say so, uh, that we, we do a, a good job of, of nurturing those who have received and rested upon Jesus Christ towards greater maturity. We do a good job of, of helping people to, to learn uh, how to walk out their faith, how to walk in the footsteps of faith in the, in the course of their, their daily lives. Obviously, we could, we could improve. We could always do better. But that is uh, an area where we focus, and that is an area where we, uh, we minister well. But I think we could begin to, to do better engaging unbelievers in our public ministry. We, we try to, to make sure that if someone comes, that uh, what we are doing is, is understandable, that they, can, that they hear the good news proclaimed, that they can hear it in a way that they can understand. But again, it's an area where, where we want to develop. And I'll be honest, I don't exactly know what that means. I'm not calling for any new programs this morning. But I want us to be aware that, that our public ministry is to be a ministry both to believers and unbelievers. Both building up those who have believed and calling unbelievers to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But I also want us to notice here that there's a second aspect to, to Paul's ministry. Not only was he teaching publicly, but he, he tells us he was also teaching from house to house. And it seems to me that this uh, probably refers to, to Paul engaging disciples in their homes, obviously. But it's a, it's a more personal engagement. Now again, this might have been both with unbelievers and with believers. Both those who were, who, who were inviting Paul into their homes so they could hear more. Uh, and those who had believed the gospel were inviting him that they might be uh, discipled and, and trained in righteousness. No doubt Paul uh, was, was uh, somewhat engaged in, in question and answers as he was teaching publicly. But this house-to-house ministry would have allowed him to, to engage people at a more personal uh, level. And again, I think this is something that we need to include in any ministry of the gospel. We, we seek to do it here. We, we seek to provide opportunities for, for people to have a more personal engagement with, with the gospel. But again, it is an area where we need to continue to, to grow. We want to continue to allow people to have the opportunity to, to have their personal questions answered. And may I suggest to you that, that part of, part of the, the, the burden of that responsibility is on you. There's a, there was a day and a, and a time when, when pastors would visit all the members of their churches in their homes. We don't do that today largely because most people don't want it. It doesn't work with the schedules and the realities of life in our present age. But as pastors, Sam and I, and as elders, all the sessions, we want to continue meeting with you personally. But again, part of the burden is on you in the same way that you schedule a well visit with your doctor every year. We want you to reach out to us and say, hey, let's grab lunch. We will pursue in some measure, but often we are pursuing when we've heard hints of a problem. How much better to, to meet regularly, to, to just uh, catch up and to, and to talk and to, uh, and to disciple and encourage towards greater maturity in Jesus Christ. But again, this is something that we want to be part of our ministry. We want to minister publicly and house to house so that all of us 
can grow towards maturity in Jesus Christ and so that more in our community can hear the reality of this good news and respond to it with repentance and faith. Because that's the profitable message. That's the message around which our consistency is to be formed. We are to be consistent in our message. We are in our ministry. We are to minister with humility, knowing it's not about us, but about Jesus. And we are to do so with with tears of, of genuine concern for the people to whom we are ministering, even as we endure whatever trials may come. And we do all of that to proclaim this profitable word, this profitable word of repentance unto life and faith in Jesus Christ. Because these alone are the words of life. And because such words have been entrusted to us, because such treasure resides in jars of clay, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for Paul's ministry. We thank you for the way that it sets before us a a, a model to emulate, Father. We pray that by your grace, we would be faithful ministers of this gospel here in Cleveland even as Paul was a faithful minister there in Ephesus. Father, do this good work, we pray, to the praise of your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.